This episode is brought to you in part by TSMA Consulting, the entertainment industry's leading social media firm. You've heard on the podcast from the top people in entertainment how vital a well-curated social media presence can be for your career. Dropping Character is proud to be partnering with TSMA Consulting, a globally recognized social media firm that can help you make sure your social media represents the quality of your work. I've worked with them personally, and man, did I learn a lot. If you do sign up, make sure you tell them Robbie sent you. All right, let's get on with the show. This is Robbie Ramos, and you're listening to Dropping Character. Man, I don't drop character till I've done the DVD commentary. still in LA but I uh, it was at when everything had shut down for COVID and I um, uh, let me pull this yeah, a little yeah. closer um, and you know I've I've wanted to go back to school for a while mm-hmm. and um, hold on let me get this I'm a yeah, little higher than, higher than the average bear um, ah, we're talking dude and I uh yeah, I had wanted to go back to school for a while. I was working for a tech company doing a small startup, doing a few different things for them. And nothing was happening in L.A. And I kind of felt like there wasn't, people were not really excited about me anymore. <laughs> what month was this, by the way? I think June, between June and July is when I made the decision to leave L.A. Mm. And I... Uh, yeah, I packed up and was going to go back to Texas for five, six months, work with that company, make a bunch of money, I thought, and and then go to New York to live close to my sister and my nephew. And then if I wanted, I could still go and try to you know, get into UCB or or um, try to do some theater things. And I had, I had almost gotten on a couple shows that shot in New York and then both times they just ended up hiring locally. And I thought, well, if I end up deciding that I want to keep doing this, then I can, there's possibility up there. But really I wanted to go up there to be close to my nephew and look for schools to go back to. And then, uh, so packed everything up. Uh, my uncle had just passed away or uh, maybe six weeks earlier and they had to wait for Texas to kind of lift some of their COVID restrictions to do a service. So I had to be there. July 11 was the day that I had to get to Houston. So yeah, I, w- I had packed up, um, either thrown away or shoved into my car, everything I had in LA. Some of it went up in, in, uh, I sent this little storage unit, like a, one of those little pod things to Dallas where I was going to end up and then took off and drove 23 and a half hours to Houston. And, uh, the week before I left, so I left on a Friday, I had gotten the audition. I think the Thursday or Friday before that I taped it on Monday in some little self tape place that happened to be open. Um, and it was just one dude and uh, in a place that I had been 
couple times to do a self-tape. And you sent that in on Monday, uh, packed up, got in the car, took off. And I think I was maybe four or five hours in to the drive. And my manager, Doug, called me and told me that they wanted me to do the thing. And at first I told him to fuck off because I, I thought he was fucking around. And then I told him to fuck off for making me a fucking cliche driving away from LA when right. I get the job. And but wait, but but so you you get the initial audition, or was that the callback, the one you're talking about? That you no, I only did one audition. So you did one audition. I did one. I just sent the tape in, and they hired me off the tape. And you did how many scenes in that audition? I think three. Three, right? Inc yeah, yeah, including the big, uh, the locker room one that we uh, shot, or the one we did yesterday at the table read. Same. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and I, I knew that when I did it, I had been saying for a little bit, like, I want to do stuff that's not so like straight, pretty boy things. Cause that was kind of how they had seen me. And I'm like, that's not, I don't, I don't think that's when right. you say they, you mean Hollywood. I mean like my, my representation <laughs> right, right, and whatnot. Right. And I, that was like, that's not, I, I want to do stuff that's funny and uh or uh, has some personality to it and uh and i knew that i was kind of in the pocket whenever i did that one which doesn't i don't feel that way often at all uh, even now that we're shooting so <laughs> uh but yeah dude. but uh but so you yeah. so and so you only waited like a few days four or five days right from when you sent in the audit? i sent it monday yeah, and it was Friday, so yeah. Oh, you lucky bastard, bro. <laughs> Dude. My fucking scenario was I sent in, but I, I think they, they were looking, I don't know if, but they ha they were looking for Diego earlier or something, and so in in the beginning of June was when I sent in um, my first uh, tape for, for Diego, and then the second audition, they wanted me to do like, like a wrestling workout, which... Duke also told me they made him do. That's so I had, to, I had to do that too, but that was oh. after, they told me to do that after they told me that they wanted me. They just wanted to see if I could move and whatnot. See, bro, motherfuckers, dude. They made me wait, bro. I waited a month, dude. And the thing was that, so I sent in my tape, and then a week later, my, my agent was like, they love you, um... You know they 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 want to see you do something else, uh, so just be waiting for like a callback or something like that. When they send me the callback, I'm thinking they're gonna have me do scenes. They don't have me do fucking scenes. They have me do this workout, but yeah. they haven't told me that they want me or anything. You know, so I send in the workout, and then uh, and then I wait a Was month. Was it that little that. like like push up, sit up, yeah, get yeah. off the ground thing? Yeah, and the forward rolls. Yeah, yeah, dude. And so I waited a fucking month, bro, and I was like shitting bricks, man, because I, I mean, I've told you, but a month before I had found out I was going to be a father, mm -hmm. no job, fucking pandemic. Mm. So I was just, I, I mean, you're you're lucky that, you know, they only had you wait a week. And, mm -hmm. and even then, I, I don't think you were like waiting for a call by any means. No, that you? was sort of the, the weird thing is that I, I had already... Um, I mean, in my in my mind, well, not even in my mind, in the choices I had made and the things I was doing, I was on a completely different track. Right. Uh, and now, when when you decided to make that decision, though, to to leave LA, 
your reps were were cool with that? Yeah, I mean my my manager Doug is uh, he they're they're more like family than anything, right. and um, and so you know he wants you know and they've been just uh, you know, incomparably kind and supportive to me over the last I met them six seven years ago something like that which we're gonna get into yeah, yeah. and um and we uh but they were support he was supportive he wanted me he just you know wants me to have a good life and uh and, mm. and that was it which was nice and um and it made sense because i mean at the time we had the conversation about it la was completely shut down we're like we don't know if there's even going to be a movie business right you know, we i mean we knew it would come back but there's no telling what that's going to look like Right, and so, then also, you know, New York is, I mean, it's you're still in 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 an area where you're going to be able to succeed in the career. It's not like you're moving to I don't know Ohio or something, you know. Yeah. Um, so I could see how how they're not they weren't too freaked out about you making that move. Mm -hmm. um, but so so you booked the role. Now, if you booked that in July, then you have like a month, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. A month or so before you start. Mm -hmm. How did you prepare, dude? Did you did you do any any specific things to get into that wrestler thing, or or was it more just kind of going? I mean, I watched some stuff like old clips of wrestling and and stuff that I grew up with. Uh, I found a Nintendo sixty four emulator and played WCW versus NWO from Nintendo sixty four. It's good research, <laughs> dude. <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, watched clips and then uh, started was was pretty concerned about the physicality and being in the right physical shape because I had just gotten in, in LA I was just doing carpentry stuff for a while and then um, maybe six months before uh, I got the part uh, I had was when I started working for this tech company so I I went from you know doing carpentry and not I mean, we were just working all the time uh at least i was to try to make enough money and uh but not eating well not working out even though it's physical you're not working out and then going from that to sitting behind the computer all day so i was a bit concerned about that so i worked out quite a bit and then the main thing was i mean i had i was with this company and i uh was trying to set things up so that I could leave in kind of a hurry and not, you know, send them up a creek. Mm. And, uh, and so it was most, for, for me, it was a bit of a panic month of kind of settling all these sort of peripheral things. And, uh, and then trying to fit, I mean, really it was, came down to most of what I did was read the scripts. Uh, over and over and over and over um and uh and know. did they send you all the scripts or you read like one through five or something? i think i had i think i had uh i think i had one and two yeah i think i had one i might have had one through four i don't remember now mm. uh, i know i at least had one and two and uh and it was a lot of reading those and just sort of you know thinking about who this guy could be and where does he come from and all of that you know right and was the character originally from 
From Texas? Or no, no, he's originally from Ohio. Huh. And then I talked with Mike on the phone and told him a little bit about my background. And I think he rewrote it for that and yeah. uh, made him from Texas, and uh, which was fine. I mean, I would have been fine doing it from Ohio, but it, it, it does seem to kind of fit him a little better that he's from a little town in Texas. Um, wrestling's pretty big in Texas, especially in small towns. Uh, so, yeah, it made sense. Yeah, Mike did a similar thing with me. He gave me that call. And then, first of all, I don't know how that first call with Michael Malley was for you, but he, the, the moment I picked up the phone, he's like, you motherfucker, if you don't do the same exact shit you did in that audition, when we get on fucking set, I'm firing your ass. And just like fucking saying the worst possible thing that you could fucking tell <laughs> And I was, and immediately I was like, oh, I love this dude. You yeah. Know? He just breaks the ice right off the bat, bro. And yeah. And he felt like a dude to me, you know, I, mm -hmm. it didn't feel like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I can't talk to him or he's going to be too like elite for me or whatever. And so, yeah. and I think he knew where I was in the business where he, he wanted me to feel a little bit more, you know, loose around him and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. he broke the ice with that. And, and my character was similar. Diego was originally Mexican. Mm. And when I spoke to him on the phone, uh, the same thing, he, he made him Cuban. And, mm -hmm. um, so you're Cuban. <laughs> this fucking guy huh but uh but so yeah dude so but now up to that point ha had you done tv a lot or anything like no, that or was I this like your real this was the, the this was kind of the big uh chance that i had been hunting mm. so i had done small parts in a few different little movies i had done i did this little indie horror movie thriller movie um that uh in 2018 and then done a few small parts in other movies i did a like a romantic comedy movie um a few years ago from the, for this uh they're it's called passion flicks and they they uh <clears throat> excuse me it's called passion flicks and they do uh specifically uh they, they take romance novels and turn them into films and then they have their own, it's like its own platform sort of mm -hmm. thing where they stream all these. And so I did one of those. And, um, is that and, a porno or no? <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not, uh, you just like fucking, no, yeah, I started off in porn and, I know. you know, one real, <laughs> I, uh, I don't think I could, no, I, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I ask you about your experience up to that level was because what I want to know about those first few days on set, man. Like how how did you well, approach those? I got I I am I would say uniquely lucky because uh and I I've, I've told you this before. So Doug, my friend and manager, also manages Gary Oldman. Mm -hmm. And and Gary's become a friend as well, uh, which is wonderful, darling person. And and I've had a lot of chances to go and visit them on things that they've been working on. And even had a small part. My very first thing I ever did was this little bitty part in a movie that Gary did a few years ago. It was like a little... Uh, 
called the space between us and a little part on there. And my first scene I ever shot was this, uh, we're astronauts that are going to Mars, right? To populate Mars or to work on Mars or whatever. On the way there, we find out that the woman who's like the captain of our team is pregnant and we get there and, I, and we have to deliver the baby and then she dies as soon as we're there. That And so the actual delivering of the baby, trying to resuscitate her, we had, it was a real baby for, oh, for some of the shots. That was the first scene I ever shot oh in a movie. Oh my God, dude. That was my first experience on set ever. So after that, it was a little downhill because it was like, <laughs> and she's supposed to be a childhood friend of mine and I'm supposed to be heartbroken and we're on Mars and we're alone and all this shit, right? So that was the first scene I ever shot. And I don't, I don't think it's great. I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I actually have never watched it. Oh, you've never seen no, it? No, I never have. But I, I hate, I hate doing that. But uh, that was the first thing I ever shot. So since then, and then I've gotten to see him on other things and gone to set and, uh, and, and so, and, and even like the romantic comedy that I did, even though it was um, for this individual platform, they, they operated at a pretty high level uh, and were quite professional. So it was getting here and first day on set here was not unfamiliar. I'd put, I'd say even, even the scale and everything. So, uh, it wasn't too uncomfortable. And, and I would say for me, Mike and Pete, uh, made it very comfortable. Um, there, especially, uh, the way that Mike is just so vocal in his encouragement. Uh, it is, it, it just makes you feel very, very secure in what you're doing. Uh, so that was, what was your first scene? I think it's the one in the locker room where I think you say something about if, if, if ACE leaves, we're fucked. Oh yeah. And, and it was the first day and I wasn't supposed to have any lines. Right. And so, and then he had me and Alan improvise that little exchange where Alan's like, Oh no. What? Yeah. You had, so I, I would say, um, if ACE leaves, we're fucked. And then and you I would say, say what do you mean? Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, which I think was supposed to be the only line. Yeah. If any, I, I think that, I don't even know if that was, scripted. yeah, no, that one was in there. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Uh, but, but then, then the he, stuff, th yeah, he had me and Alan kind of go back and forth a little bit. And, uh, and I, and I was just over the moon because I'm like, Oh man. Cause I had just come off of visiting Gary on the set of the movie he did with David Fincher, where, you're going to say the word exactly how it's written and you're going to say it exactly how David wants you to say it. So, which David is a genius, uh, and the movie I think is brilliant, but you, it's just a completely different mode and it's quite, it's nice and relaxing to know that you're in an environment where everyone is collectively flexible for the purpose of finding what the scene and moment should be. And, you know, after it was day one and we had that experience and I was like, okay, I feel like I can get in the groove here pretty easy. You know, what's cool about that is I, I remember that, that scene happening. And I remember 
the the way you, just kind of the vibe you had and i could see the joy in your face and like you know mike just bringing up stuff for you to do and you kind of so i kind of saw you feel those things you're talking about which is real cool that you bring that up because yeah i remember that i didn't know that was your first day on set mm-hmm. um and and then uh yeah so so i i want to go back to how you started man because first of all dude the fact that well we've talked a little bit about your career and how you got here and all that but you haven't been acting for that long have you uh not not compared to many no right so did you always want to be an actor or or was that something that came later no uh i i think that i i have always loved performing in some way or another my dad was a pastor growing up so i did all the church plays did school plays if we had them in the little Christian school that we were that that we had as a part of the church and would also get up and preach and loved it loved being in front of people since I was tiny it's funny because if I mean if you watch and we have home videos where uh I like flip-flop between having this expressiveness and wanting to perform and be in front of people and then in the next video i'm like in the corner with my legos and they would tell me like i would stay in the corner for hours just putting legos together figuring and not want to talk to anybody uh i think they call that bipolar i don't know right i I never checked but (laughs) but uh so i always loved performing and did those plays, which were hard, could hardly be called plays. Uh, and then after college, I, I had, I mean, I probably had dozens of things that I wanted to be in life. Mm. And after college, I worked for some friends on a web startup back like when Twitter was still in a beta product. And, uh, and that didn't, wind up being anything and then after that i started doing um interface design and and then had a friend uh introduce me to coding and then kind of taught myself to code just never really got great at it but serviceable and and then forgot most of it but i thought that was going to be a path for a while and i sat in a coffee shop i even think a, a, a girl that i worked in the coffee shop with uh commented on a post i put up yesterday i think of of me and crystal in the hair trailer and and she said i think uh, it was something like remember when you were just a regular guy writing code in a coffee shop (laughs) (laughs) i I think i replied i i try not to no i know i i'm those are fond memories and uh but that i thought that for a while i thought that was it and i i think it was more uh, at some point i knew this is not this is not the life I want. Like I, this is not, this does not fit. This is not a comfortable thing. And I thought about the fact how much, how much I loved performing. And it just, it, it was sort of, Oh, I had, I had friends and I was, I mean, I had to kind of, I was, it got bigger for, for this, but, uh, at the time I was still very skinny and I had a bunch of, I mean, lots of people, uh, friends in Dallas tell me you should do the modeling thing. Mm. 
which I thought was shallow and I didn't want to do it. But then I kind of got desperate enough for something and I thought, well, maybe I could, that would be a pathway to do, doing acting work. Was that your early 20s or? That was, I think I was 26, the first time I had a conversation mm. about that. And yeah, and then went to an agency in Dallas. They signed me for modeling. Told them I wanted to do acting work. And they had an acting division. Not really, but they did. And, and then went to a couple classes in Dallas. I got good feedback. I, did, um, I was there for maybe a year and a half doing classes, like Meisner classes there in Dallas. And, but was miserable otherwise, you know. Uh, the modeling was fine. I mean, I, I modeled for JCPenney has a headquarters there. So I did, I modeled for them a few times a week and, you know, go there in a day and it's like a $2,000 day rate. And I was like, Oh yeah, I see why people think this is a good idea. I'll do, I'll do this for a bit. And, uh, and kind of, yeah, I got a little bit of traction, uh, but was just, I, I, I had, I, I was just sort of a messed up person from the stuff growing up and, uh, weirdness growing up and coming from a home that was, uh, I would say it, it was, uh, detrimentally religious. I think there are a lot of people who, who have a, a faith and it's a wonderful, wonderful component of their life. Uh, for me, it was so intense that it was really detrimental to my, uh, to living. Uh, at, at what age do you think you started to have those thoughts about the religion? Because I mean, it, it is hard to kind of yeah. start to feel like. I think it was a. Uh, I the way I put it is I I noticed even from the time I was maybe six or seven, uh, little things would would happen. I would have little interactions with people, and things didn't really make sense to me. Uh, I, I would, I'd have to think for a while to remember any specific ones, but the way I put it is it would go into this little, like a little singularity, like this, this really, really dense little ball in the, in my stomach. And it just kept filling up with these little, like it, it got denser and denser and denser where like this stuff doesn't add up. This is, this is not, I couldn't put a finger on it, but it just felt wrong. Um, and, and then my own family, whom I, I love, we, it was not the, the best growing up circumstance, the combination of all of that. Uh, I just, I, I, all I knew was that something had to change. Uh, and my sister is actually one that pushed me. I, I had visited California, interned with a nonprofit thought about working with them, but I loved California when I first came out, when I, for the first time I visited. And I was so miserable in Dallas. Um, you know, the church thing wasn't right for me. And my sister at one point, we were on the phone, she had moved to Florida to be uh, a nanny for a wealthy couple out there. And uh, we were on the phone and I was just kind of, I kind of broke down with her. And she got like more fiery than usual. And she said, why don't you just move? Just move. You talk about it all the time. Just find a way to go and figure it out. And she was right. And I did. I took, it was another maybe nine months after that. And I just, and I, I 
got in the car and drove to California. Um, and, and that was that. So how old were you when you moved to Cali? 29. You were 29, dude. Mm -hmm. Wow. I was already old for, for the acting game. Brother standards in, in, in Hollywood, man. But, um, I think more than anything is the experience of training even, you know, um, a lot of actors start training a little earlier than that. Mm -hmm. Although you did do some training, but so you you moved to Cali, and um, do you start taking acting classes right away, or or was that a little more down the line? Yeah, I went to uh, this <laughs> this uh, woman's school that she had in her little house that ended up being on the same street as a future girlfriend somehow. And, and it was ultimately unhelpful. Uh, <laughs> bless ultimately her, bless her heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Try as she did. Uh, and it was my, I, I don't know why I think, I think, uh, I was always an extremely analytical kid. Like I was that kid that would get, I had, you know, in ninth grade, I had perfect test scores in my calculus class, but I had a B in the class or a C because I didn't want to do the homework. And I didn't understand why I had to do the homework if I understand the concept. I'm like, no, I have a good score on the test. Why do I need to do the homework? That's, the, that's to help you learn. <laughs> so I was always kind of analytical. Maybe you, you might even be able to say slightly, like a not on the spectrum, but approaching it. And... Uh, and like right away with this woman, uh, I could tell she, she had a small part. What was that movie? Deuce Bigelow. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. Yeah. She had a small part in that movie where she played one of the woman, one of the women that, that, uh, shouldn't probably say all this, but she had a small part in that movie. Okay. I don't remember. I mean, it was like minutes, right? And that's what she hung her hat on. <laughs> and I remember even the first couple times of going, thinking, is everyone like this? Like, are, are they all like this? Looking for a hook to hang their coat or hat on? Or whatever the phrase is. And But I was like, I need to practice. Like, I have to practice. So, okay, I'll just keep going. And then the coach, another coach that I had in Dallas with two women that I studied with in Dallas for a little bit. And then the other one introduced me to, do you, do you know, Leslie Kahn in LA? No. Uh, and I went to her for a year and, um, she was very, very kind to me personally, but I think what they teach there actually really ruins actors. Um, if you're experienced in, as a performer, you can go there and gain a lot of tools to do certain types of jobs. Why? What, what, what was she teaching there that you think is... It, it's... So they, they primarily emphasize their comedic work, but they teach a lot of things like how to... Like how to hit threes. Like um, 
you know, comedy, like they had this phrase, they would always say comedy comes in threes. Okay, that's fine. That's a useful tool. But they would teach go up, up, down, or on your words, or oh, wow. do this, do that, do that. And it was a lot of, I, w- I would call it like finishing school stuff. So like if you're an experienced performer, those things can come in handy when you're trying to figure out what to do with material that you can't, you're having a hard time connecting with, or mm-hmm. or or if it's just something that is kind of, it's it's a way for you to add subconsciously add some flair, but they don't they didn't teach. And I remember even sometimes specifically hearing people say, "Well, in my you know I was kind of working on a backstory," and she would actually say, well, "We don't do that here," and I and I didn't know at the time. Because I had I had no frame of reference. I'm like, this is a very famous LA coach. Like, okay, we don't do that. And to be honest, it nearly ruined me as a performer because I w- I w- just was it just made me extremely mechanical and you got in your head about it, kind of in my head and kind of uh, focused on the wrong components. Yeah, you're yeah. not focused on on really living something, on really expressing and. Reacting. Having having real thoughts and real things backing up what you're doing, it's just it's canned and and empty, and you can see it. And I sometimes see performers of hers on TV or like on Instagram and stuff, and I'm like, "You're fucking, your eyes are empty. There's nothing going on." And it's uh, and then some of them are really good because they just are talented, but I, I wouldn't credit that with the, with what I learned at the school. Um, so then a year, yeah, that's that. That was the first year. And like I, I just basically fumbled around, tried to survive, uh, dated the wrong girl. Um, Odd jobs. Yeah. And then I wound up working in a steakhouse in Beverly Hills and working events at the Chateau Marmont as a server. And Fancy, dude. Well... <laughs> but as a server as a server <laughs> it's not it's shitty dude did you, you see any celebs dude uh one time i worked an event after the grammys and like passed by taylor swift and ed sheeran in the hallway and that was it that was it um she's much taller than you think she is oh yeah yeah she- and they i didn't even interact with them but they seemed nice like i know at one point uh like they seemed really nice um, and I saw them interacting with a couple of the other servers and they were perfectly, perfectly gracious, but otherwise, yeah, I think I'm, I like lucked into a lot of funny positions because that was one of the first things I did at Chateau was or in LA was that job at Chateau. And I remember working these events and, and right away, thinking, man, all of these people are shitty. And I, I was like, I'm never going to be that way. I'm just never going to care about all this shit that, you know, they care about. And, uh, um, yeah, so that was uh, a year of that, basically. Trying to make ends meet, fumbling around, having my car repoed, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh <sighs> Failing basically, <laughs> <laughs> and ev- in every in every way that 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 there that one can. And at that point, you're you're approaching thirty, or, or you're thirty. I I had, I hit thirty. The I moved. I arrived in L.A. 
on New Year's Eve of, I think, 2013. So my first full day in L.A. was January. Uh, my first full day in L.A. was January 1, 2014. And then October of 2014, I turned 30 in mm. L.A. So 10 months later. And how were you feeling at that time, dude? Did you feel like this shit was never going to work out? I mean, because moving to L.A. at 30, I mean, that's... I was fucking lost, man. And, and, uh, and you know, both sides of my family have have histories of uh, mental issues. And I'm sorry, this is a total aside, but I noticed your script sitting there with your name on it. And I took a picture, I'll show it to you. But uh, I saw (laughs) I was in the gym today. And all of Duke's scripts are sitting in the gym. And he, I texted him. I was like, dude, what did you do? And he's like, oh, man, I left him there thinking somebody would shred him. And I was like, when? He's like, before the break. <laughs> <laughs> so they've been sitting Sam in there has for six weeks or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. I, uh, and, then, and then I forgot them. I was going to take them and shred them, and I forgot them right, in the gym right. today. So I'll, I'll toss them for him tomorrow. So, Duke, you're welcome. But uh, that's completely unrelated. But... Yeah, so I, I was, so both sides of my family have histories of mental things. My grandmother, uh, God bless her, she's just I, I love her more than just about anybody in the world. Uh, she's the one that sent the video to all of us. Mama, mama, yeah, mama, mama yeah. And, uh, but she, I didn't realize this. I didn't. I hadn't heard this uh, until a little. I think even after that first year um that i mean she had been hospitalized for depression when she was younger uh you know my my aunt my aunt lisa passed away when i was in college uh she they went to be missionaries in uzbekistan and it was so difficult for her uh she started drinking and became an alcoholic and and then when i was in college she had just really deteriorated so far that uh it physically was so so messed up i think that between whatever medication she was taking and the amount of liquor that she was drinking uh you know she fell asleep face down one night and they just never woke up holy shit and uh that was in college and so and my dad's side of the family has other things as well and probably stuff that they still don't acknowledge so i hope they don't hear this but (laughs) but uh uh, but they, so it never really dawned on me until later, but I knew something was wrong. And I would have in that first year that, that girlfriend, bless her heart, um, putting up with my fucked up brain. Uh, you know, she would, she told me one time, she said, there are times when, uh, I almost, I can almost physically see this thing just come down on you and I can't reach you anymore for like a week. You're just gone. And, and it wasn't until maybe sometime in the second year of being there that that registered like, Hey, this is not a normal up and down pattern that I go through. Maybe it is bipolar. I don't don't know. (laughs) I should get checked out. But we're gonna but, get to the bottom of it today. Yeah, right. I'm the therapist. So, thank you, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah. So then I was 
but I was working in the restaurants, uh, and I was working in one in a steak, the, the steakhouse in Beverly Hills. And I had had, it was maybe from like September started in maybe the end of September. Uh, man, no, probably October, uh, that I really started having right around my birthday when I turned 30, I started consistently, uh, considering, uh, killing myself. I mean, pr pretty much every day. And then I broke up with the girl right before Christmas, which was a terrible thing to do, but it seems to happen. And, um, that's a story in and of itself, but we won't go there today. And, uh, and then, yeah, the first few months into that following year, um, I mean, I was, I was ready, made plans to do it a couple times and then just pussied out. And, uh, but that December, uh, I was working in the restaurant and that's when Doug and Diane, Doug, my manager happened to come into the restaurant, happened to sit at a table that I was at, that I was work, uh, serving and had one other table. They left by the time I think they got an appetizer of some kind. And they, we just started talking, started talking about movie stuff. And they asked me if I was an actor and I made some joke about, yeah, like everybody else. And, and they started asking me about actors that I liked to this day. He says, he's like, who are some of your favorite actors? And to this day, he says that my answer was George Clooney. And I think that my answer was Gregory Peck. <laughs> and, uh, so who knows what the truth is, but I said, Gregory Peck. And, and then he said, what movies do you like of Gregory Peck? And I said, well, to kill a mockingbird is one of my favorites. And he said, yeah, well, what else? Uh, hmm. uh, well, uh, and I had no, I had no other answer. Cause I, I had knew nothing about old Hollywood or old movies or anything, um, or the history of film or I knew nothing. I didn't know who Arthur Miller was or Tennessee Williams or uh, anything like that. Uh, but they just, he just took a liking to me. They both did. And at the end of it, he said, you know, we'd, we'd like to help you. People had said that, you know. Yeah. You know, young, youngish, handsome guy, whatever. Uh, and they... And I said, oh, thank you. I'm flattered. You know, if you leave your email or something. And, and he said, I think it's still one of his favorite things he's ever said. But he, he kind of waved and had a small grimace on his face. And he said, I don't know. My name is on my credit card. If you want to talk, just find me. And I was like, this, this, this guy is either a total tool and full of shit. Right. Or really not. And so I wrote his name down. Looked him up. Saw that he worked with Gary. Didn't even know who Gary Oldman really was. I knew he did the Batman movies, and that was about all I knew Holy of him at shit. the time. Yeah, and uh, it's embarrassing to say, but uh, but I saw that he had produced. He was a producer on a lot of things: Tinker Tailor, even RoboCop, things that Gary had been in. And I don't know, fuck. Okay, it's a real deal. And I found his uh, the phone number to the his management company which now I know was just like, you know, the, the assistant at the office at the house. And, <laughs> right, uh, right. And, uh, and so I called and we had lunch and he just took a, took a liking to me. 
I mean, I knew nothing. I don't think I, I think I might have answered one question that he asked me about theater and um, movies and actors. Like I, I think I knew in plays, I, I think I knew one answer uh, about something about death of a salesman, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was the only thing I knew. And, uh, and then, yeah, we just kind of kept, he gave me some books to read and I just dove, like I, it was the first time I had guidance that I felt I could trust. So he, you know, cause he works with somebody one, and then when I went and looked up Gary, I was, I was like, Oh my God, yeah. I had no idea. Legend. Now, but in that meeting, does he tell you like, I'm, I'm going to represent you or does he just say, look, I, I'm going to help you out in this way, which is just kind of guiding you at that point. At that point. Yeah. Just some guidance. Um, did you leave the meeting like fuck? Because were you thinking he was gonna possibly take you on as a client, or were you just going into the meeting like oh? Uh, yeah, see. I had no idea. I didn't even know how those meetings went. I had been to like one meeting about getting an agent. That's so the crazy, whole, dude! You have no idea, there. bro. People and take fucking seminars about how to. I know how, how to, to go get an meet agent. with yeah, a, yeah, I know. Yeah, I had visited one agent that 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 Leslie Khan introduced me to. Again, she was just incredibly nice to me personally, and. uh um, but I went to one meeting and I was so fucking nervous at that meeting that, I mean, I could barely get lines out. They had me do a little monologue. I could barely get lines out. Mm-hmm. And that was the only agent meeting I had ever I'd gone to. And I, and they, they said no. And, uh, and then I think, yeah, there was one other manager that, that I ended up talking to from a friend of a friend. And he said, yes. And. And that was like maybe a few months before I met Doug. And then I had to tell him like, hey, I'm going to go with this guy. But yeah, that was it. That was how I left that meeting. And he just, I, I, and they told me later that uh, they wanted to see if I was serious. Hmm. And so, I mean, I read Stella Adler, Art of Acting and grabbed some plays. He had to tell me about Samuel French Bookstore in LA. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, but then I started really falling in love with it because of all of that. Um, and and I did. I just sort of chewed up all that stuff. And then we had dinner, and it was his wife, Diane. Uh, uh, they made a meatloaf, and um, and she said, if you, if you want to be a good actor, or she, no, she's, the way she put it was, if you want to be a star, if you're here because you want to be a big movie star, and you want to be famous, and you want to do these things, Probably not the people for you. If you want to be a good actor, and even if it costs you until you're 60, Doug can help you go down the road if what you want is to be a great actor. And, uh, and of course, I said, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> right. It was a lie at the time. But, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I said yes. And but I did. I was very quickly falling in love with this other world that they had introduced me to of great performances and great theater and, and plays. And, and um, yeah, so I just started chewing it up. And then he found some classes that were uh, Stella Adler-based. He studied as an actor. He studied with Stella Adler in New York mm. a long time ago. And so he introduced me to that and uh, into, into who she was. And found a couple classes that were Stella Adler based in LA and had me start going. And I didn't audition for anything for probably a year and a half, I think. 
and I just went to classes probably three or four days a week and, mm-hmm. and, you know, just studied. Uh, and yeah, that was, that was and, that. And when did, when did that transition happen where he started to say, well, now I'm going to start sending you out on auditions. Did he wait until you were at a certain point where he could see that you were starting to get the craft better or? Yeah, I would say, um, so it began with, he had me do a piece of a Tennessee Williams play. Uh, he wanted to see what this coach who he really trusted that he had known for a long time. He wanted to see what she thought of me. So he had me prepare this, this thing from a Tennessee Williams play Orpheus descending. Um, I wish I could remember it. I got to go find it again. Who's the and, coach? The Stella Adler coach? You don't uh, remember? Uh, no, I'm not going to say. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. That kind of wound up sideways, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, so, so I did this piece and he was very calm. I, I did it for him right before going to see her and he was like, okay, great. Just do that for her and see what she says. And he told me later that he just flipped out when I left. He was like, never had real training and he like, got the soul of the thing, which was a nice compliment. And then I went and saw her and she said similar thing, like needs training, but has has something great so yeah so i trained with a few different few different people uh three four days a week and then i think i should i should correct that i had one audition for this little part in that space movie i think i think it was that first year uh and we did it but then after that it was just like i didn't i just didn't i would do them here and there uh I think it was at least a year before the next one, but they, it was just like, let's hold off. And then if an audition came that he felt like I was at a point that I could do, he would work with me on it. And then I, if it was, if we were good, then I would go in for it. But that was probably, I didn't really start going in for probably two years, Hmm. a year and a half too, something like that. But yeah, the other, another part of that two years of not, uh, I would say maybe even more than the, than the training that I did in that two years of not doing a lot of auditions was at Doug's suggestion was going and finding, or he, he actually found a person who was a therapist that I was, I was going to see once a week. Um, and, and going and talking to my doctor about, maybe getting on medication to help me manage my mind because it was, it was rough, man. I mean, I still, even after things had gone kind of when I got done a few things, uh, I would still have three, four days a week where getting out of bed was a victory. Uh, and, and I, I mean, it took, I went to see this therapist and then it was like, uh, probably two years of uh, over the span of a day I would probably spend about an hour writing stuff to myself I'd have something happen or like have a Mm. feeling or a reaction or not want to get out of bed and would sit down and write okay 
almost to like the little kid that still lived in there that had been traumatized and fucked up. You're feeling this way. You're feeling this way because this thing happened. That resembles this thing that happened to you a long time ago. That uh, is why you feel this way. Of course you feel this way. I'm sorry that that happened. I'm, you know, whatever I needed. Here's the truth. This person didn't mean that. This person isn't your dad or isn't, they're not doing this. This doesn't mean the same thing as when you got, when that got said to you when you were young. And I would have to, I mean, over the span of a day, it was probably an hour for two years every day of doing shit like that and correcting the way that my mind interacted with the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that that's probably, to answer your earlier question about the physicality, because it wasn't just phys- physicality that was a struggle. It was sometimes just showing up and being connected and all of it, not just shutting down. Yeah. That was, that work was just as, if not more important than any of the acting training that I did. Um, because I was actually in, 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 in touch with my own being and my own mind and, I mean, and it's still like, it's, I, pra- I have to practice that every, it's every day. It, I still like, thankfully I don't have to write as much, but that practice of, of, you know, wanting to like, uh, I mean, I think I told you this when we got off the table read the other day, mm-hmm. I know I joked with you about it on the phone, but I really did. I got off the, I got off the table read and I was like, you should quit. You should really quit. This is a pipe dream. You got lucky and you should quit, man. This is not for you. And I have to go through the same practice still uh, every day uh, with with one or more events. Um, You know, still have days where you wake up and you're like, today is a good day to kill yourself. And it's familiar enough territory at this point that I know how to deal with it very quickly and very readily and uh, and it's not as intrusive or difficult as it once was, but it it is not a practice that I can never put away. But that would that two years was really in in oh so this is maybe the the hook of that whole part of it is I did a scene in class from a Tennessee Williams play uh, Night of the Iguana, and it was fucking terrible in class, <laughs> right? And I and the scene called for a woman uh, in the play. Uh, I think um, I think Richard Burton played it in the movie, and I forgot who played the woman. But she in the play, she's a good ten years, I think ten fifteen years older than the character that Richard Burton plays, who was the person I was playing. And and the coach got really upset, like, um, and it's like getting on to me about like what I was doing, and I don't know, and. And I just locked up. I just completely shut down and couldn't, could barely even talk. And, uh, and the next day that woman called me, I wish I could remember her name, sweet as she could be. And she said, you know, I noticed this happened to you. She says, my daughter, that's actually my niece that I've adopted because my sister kind of went off the deep end has similar reactions to certain things. She just freezes and she grew up with terrible abuse. 
and she said, uh, you know, the, a lot of people come, she said, I'm not trying to make you tell me anything or anything like that. I just want to let you like, just tell you something that I hope is helpful. A lot of people come to LA because they want to get into the movie business. They want to get into the music business. They want to do something that they feel is significant. And what they don't realize is that they're actually coming here to heal. A lot of them get stuck along the way, which is why there's shitty people in LA. She said, don't get stuck. If that's all you get out of here, get it. And it was years later that I remembered, remembered that. And it's what pushed me to go to, uh, it was the, it was the tipping point of going to counseling when I remembered that experience. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, that was, that was maybe the most important part of being in LA, to be honest. And the only right. reason that any of this is possible, I think. And, and, and the thing that we were saying, like how crazy it is that you walk in that, that you're working at this restaurant and that you get Doug. I know. Yeah. To be. In, 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 yeah. in on the table that you're taking care of. Totally. I mean, that's fucking insane. Bro. Yeah. Well, and I've said it to him. It's one of the few things because I, uh, I don't believe in God the way that I did growing up. Uh, do I think that there could be some, I, I of course believe that there is something there are, uh, there's lots to the universe that we don't understand. You know, the matter that we can see and interact with only makes up about 4% of the dense of the, of the substance of the universe. So yeah, there's a lot that we don't know. Uh, I don't think it's God as I was taught, but the improbability of that, of that encounter does make me think there is something to, uh, what we might call spiritual at right now, which I think is probably just an interconnectedness we don't understand yet. But that there, it is one of the few reasons I believe that there is an importance in being spiritually and emotionally sensitive, because I I, I think that there are. I, I heard a great phrase that uh, I I think there absolutely is divine chore choreography. Where that comes from or what it is, I don't think we know, but it's certainly something that seems real to me. And uh, and I am really fucking lucky to have encountered it. And that's that. Crazy, bro. We're good. Cool. Um, yeah, dude. It's... Uh... I went to when I when I talked to my. Are you still going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I when I talked to my doctor about getting on medicine, which was really helpful. The first time I didn't, I just told him about kind of the symptoms I had, and he uh, prescribed me something. And I came back about six weeks later to check in with him, and it really did help. Um, and and then I told him about my family history. I didn't even tell him, but bring that up at the beginning. I just, he just talked to him about my symptoms and he's this uh, great doctor in Beverly Hills. And he, and he, um, and then I, when I talked to him about my family stuff and the background and the whole thing, he said, yeah, you know, yeah, people, some things are hard in life, you know, but it doesn't, 
doesn't really define you or what you're going to be. Uh, he said, I knew a guy that my doctor was a medic in Vietnam. And he says, you know, I knew a guy, uh, Vietnam, far and away the best medic I've ever seen, ever. And he grew up super rural, way out in the country. He and his brother were like a year apart. And and he, he no nothing around, no people for miles. He said, and they hit puberty. And, uh, you know, puberty hit them around the same time and they went out and they uh, fucked a chicken. <laughs> and I looked at him, what the... F-? And he says, oh, you know, where the egg comes... That, that wasn't my question. That's not... That wasn't, that wasn't the question the mark. <laughs> and he says, and the sad thing is that uh, it kills the chicken. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> he literally fucked a chicken to death. Right. And... Uh, and he said, and his mom found him, brought him inside, put him in the room. It says, when you when your dad gets home, you're in trouble. This is my doctor telling me this story about this guy. And he says, when, when your dad gets home, you're in trouble. Dad got home and he goes in the kitchen. Uh, she tells him and he she, they can hear him yelling in the kitchen. Gets a knife, comes into the bedroom, pulls this poor kid's pants down. He's like 13 grabs his balls, holds the knife up to his balls and says, if you ever do anything like that again, I'm going to cut these off of you. And he runs away from home that night and just lives as a homeless vagabond until he's 18 and joins the military. And he says, yeah, he, he joined the military, 18, and became the best medic that I've I've ever seen, you know. So, yeah, you're, you're not alone. So, what the <laughs> fuck do you think is wrong with me, dude? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I get it. You were trying to tie that story in again, yeah, yeah. but I think I think you got a little lost in it, man. And uh, <laughs> like, okay, thank you. I'm uh, now I feel worse. <laughs> God damn, <dude. laughs> so anyway, I want to put that in a fucking film, dude. That's a yeah, little... it's a good story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all this time, are you are you meeting Gary Oldman? Or are you? A few times, yeah. 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 Um, I auditioned for uh, Mindhunter, David Fincher's show. And the coaches that I had worked with were unavailable. And Doug said, oh, I know someone else who knows a thing or two about acting. I said, who? I said, Gary Oldman. And he would love to help you. I said, well, it's too bad because I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go and do an audition with Gary. I'm not, I can't. No, that's... That is so far the most terrifying thing I've done in life. So I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But I did, and it and it was wonderful. He was a doll and and helpful and um and uh, but yeah, I mean, I was I would go to holiday stuff with them, and and it became. Uh, now, what like, is he telling you when you go in for an audition to to work on an audition with Gary Oldman? Are there certain things like how? Just walk me through that, dude. Because even for me, I mean, I'd be fucking scared out of my face to go in yeah, there and like. Yeah. So the nice thing was before that, I think that was maybe, maybe two years into knowing all of them. I mean, I met Gary maybe a, a couple months, a few months after I, uh, after Doug said, "I want to work with you," kind of a right. thing. After that, the the doing that play. Uh, the scene from the play monologue and and um 
so I had, I already knew him as a person uh, more than uh, before I had ever worked on anything with him. Right. So, so I'm gonna take this jacket off. Um, so that made it a little bit more comfortable because I had already interacted with him as a, as a person for a while. And, uh, but he just said, just go get Gary to help you with it. And that was all. And so I go over there, go to his house. And, uh, I mean, I, I was though, I was shaking when I got out of the car and go in and he was so sweet. And the scene was in a car. So he pulled two chairs up and we sat down next to each other and we did it. Um, and I think we read it twice, you know, and he said, okay, I've got the words and I'm going to watch you. And And we did it was a simple scene it wasn't anything wildly complex and and we did it and he kind of looks at me for a second he says no yeah i think uh if i was if i was directing this i'd say let's shoot it that was pretty spot on i was like well i think it's a good time for me to quit the acting game i think that's 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 about as good as it's gonna get for me (laughs) And then we did the second scene, and that didn't go quite as well. But he was super sweet and helpful with with uh, with all of it. And how do he guide you through that second scene, though? Because, I mean, he knows he knows that you don't have much experience in mm-hmm. acting. So, mm-hmm. what were some of the things? Do you remember some of the things that he said in specific? A lot of it was. Uh, so for me, I, I my my the big thing I had to overcome was just physicality. Uh, funny enough, a woman that I did that audition with for Mindhunter, she told Doug after the fact that, yeah, he's he's definitely got something going on, but he's completely disconnected from his body. And she mentioned another actor who's kind of in the same category as me who grew up being horribly abused. And she said he has the same problem, not knowing that I had had components of that in my life growing up. And so that was a lot of what Gary worked because the scene was supposed to be at a bar flirting with this woman. And so, and I just was just like standing still. I had no, I couldn't, even though, and he's like, you've got, you've got the spirit of the scene, like what, what it's supposed to be. And, but you, it's not going any lower than your neck and we got to get out of it. So he helped me have some things to do. How? What? He gave you certain things to be doing with your hands? He just, yeah, we just, honestly, I don't, I don't remember. We were doing it for maybe 45 minutes and he basically just had me try different. He's like, oh, let's stand over here. Stand on, use, use the, use the mantle as a, as a bar and just, just try to, you know, just play around with different things. Here's a, here's a cup or whatever hmm. and just play with, play around, figure something out. And, and I think the nice thing was, uh, even though I was sort of nervous when I first came in, I, I think, uh, I don't know if, I, I don't know why, but like once we started working, I, it, it, I, I forgot that it was Gary Oldman and it's just my friend that's helping me. And I was sort of uh, just uh, very uh, into the mind that's trying to figure out how this is how this works like how this scene is supposed to work so it was it wasn't like working with a you know a legendary actor anymore it was just it was kind of in work mode all of a sudden so it it 
was uh, it wasn't hectic or stressful anymore. Pretty kind of right away, and that's partly because he was just so, so sweet about the whole thing and so helpful. So yeah, that was uh, that was that, and we did it. Um, got it to a place where he's like, "Yeah, that's good." He's like, "Just go in and do that," you know, mm-hmm. which was really really sweet of him to take the time to do it. And still, I I had a long way to go before I was really comfortable enough in my body to uh to incorporate it into what I performed. How have you worked on that? How have you broken that that down? I to be honest, I don't know that I could I don't think it's like was one thing that happened. I think it it's over time. It, over time and to to not to make it a more uh important deal than it is, but a lot of it had to do with me um uh, correcting my own and um i hate to use this word i feel like it's 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 thrown around to to make things sound uh spiritual in some way but i i just had a lot of healing of my own heart and mind to do from the way that i i had arrived in life at this point and a lot of it came from that to be honest and being comfortable with who I am as a person and the ways that I think about things and knowing, okay, I've got some mental battles I have to kind of fight every day and that's fine. And becoming just more comfortable generally living and existing every day. That was probably the, the biggest part of it. Uh, and then there was also practice as that's going on you know, go I, my, another coach, we would do a class where you had to, uh, you couldn't speak, but you had to set up a scene on the stage and you're there alone, just you. And you had to cross the stage 10 times. And you, and we had to, and everyone had to do this exercise to cross the stage 10 times. And we had to understand why you were crossing the stage every single time and understand the story as a whole by the time you're done. And uh, that was a fantastic exercise. I think every actor needs to do it. Uh, that was really, really helpful. And then she was also helpful in that she would say, th- she would she was very into the physicality of things, not using it as, I mean, people get so hung up on it, I think, but she was really good at saying, what do you feel right now? How does what they just said, what does that make your the character feel? And uh, it makes me feel like sick. And she says, what does sick do? You realize, oh, I might kind of double over a little bit. Yes, that's it. Like, how do you, because we do, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a overused phrase, but like we do these things with our body all the time anyway. Yeah, and learning to not block that channel, I think, would be the way to put it that I had to do. That's interesting, dude. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you when you grow up in a ch- in 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 an environment where you feel like you have to block certain emotions or certain things that are happening, 
it, it sounds to me like you had to find a way to put those walls down so you can be more receptive towards, I mean, acting is, is receiving, mm -hmm. you know? And, and when we have these traumas up and I know from my own life too, you know, we got to fucking find a way to put these things down. That's for me too, man. In, in New York, when I first started acting, that was one of the things, um, that I learned that the one year conservatory, besides reacting, it was also just like kind of how to receive what somebody's mm -hmm. giving me, you know? Yeah. In a scene. Um, so so you do that, so so you take that class and, and by this time you are auditioning a little more frequently, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. And when when's that that next big kind of gig that you that you book? I did I I think the what was it? I did a um that space movie I think the next significant thing was the the romantic comedy that I did which was in maybe 2017 I think What was that one called Uh The Matchmaker's Playbook Yeah I got it down here yeah Um and that was the next thing And then it was maybe Was that a big part in that yeah, decent. It was a. I mean, it was like uh, there was the the two leads, guy and a girl, and then I basically the story was this girl has this huge crush on this guy in her college, which was me. She hires this other guy, who, um, she hires this other guy who's basically a matchmaker who's a former like college athlete and all this to basically coach her how to get me interested in her. And then of course, as the story goes, the two of them end up falling in love or whatever mm -hmm. and, uh, and leaving me out to dry. So, <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, they, so it was, I mean, I, it was central to the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but not, yeah, I would say there was maybe f a total of five of us that were really the core cast of the movie. Five or six, something like that. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. So that that up to that point is the biggest role you've done mm -hmm. up to that point, right? Mm -hmm. And then after that, what 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 happens? Out? I mean, because we're talking about, the, I mean, all of this is in, in a span of like four years, right? From when you meet Doug, right? Mm -hmm. Up until... So it was, so it was, yeah. So altogether, I've known Doug, I think it's now six years, a, a little over. And, uh, and yeah, the, I think that first year of that is when I did that space movie. And then, yeah, it was kind of nothing for a bit. Uh, and auditioned for some stuff. Like I had auditioned for an Aronofsky film. Mm -hmm. They like evidently loved me for that thing. But they gave it to somebody who had a... So a you had gotten close with that one. Mm -hmm. uh, but they gave it to uh, Don Hall Gleason, who he also looked like... He was supposed to be the brother of... The character was a brother of somebody. It was a mother his, that he did with uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem. And he... The guy is supposed to... I mean, I didn't look anything like the people that this character is supposed to be related to. Right. And... And Domino has just this is a wonderful talent, has this deep resume. They're not going to give it to this new kid from nowhere. And uh, fine. Uh, but they really liked me. And it was a nice shot in the arm to, okay, this is not unrealistic, you know. Mm. 
so there were some little things like that along the way where it's like, hey, you know, this guy's got a deep resume. Uh, even though they love you, but you do get tired of hearing that, you know. It's it's right. it's, it's like when you get down to, when you get that close. I mean, it's really it's 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 practically like as good as getting the part. It's just that there was something about the other person that fit a little better or something like mm-hmm. that, you know, but it's pretty much just as good as getting the part. And you want to say, no, it's fucking not. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know? And, right. uh, anyway, but then, yeah, so it was maybe 2017. I did that romantic comedy thing and I might be getting some of the timeline mixed up. And then 2018, I got hired to do a movie, this indie, uh, thriller horror thing that, uh, was this guy's first movie. He'd done some commercials and stuff. It was his first feature film. And it was just three of us. It was me, Emma Horvath, who's now doing the Lord of the Rings show, and Mina Suvari. And it was basically the three of us in the movie. That was it. And uh, in upstate New York. And then before I ended up leaving to do that, I got hired to do a small part in The Outpost by Rod Lurie. Mm. Um, and that was with... Uh, uh, Orlando Bloom, Caleb Landry Jones, and Scott Eastwood. It was a small part at the end of the film, but it, they wanted it to really be like a uh, like the cavalry has arrived kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So I uh, did that. Uh, so I shot the thing in New York, which was, I think, a month. We were there for maybe five weeks. Came back, was in L.A. for my birthday that year. I turned, I think, th- I think I turned 34 that year. And then, um, yeah, it would have been 34. And was there for five days and then got on a plane to go to uh, Bulgaria where they were shooting this other thing. That's fucking awesome, dude. And went to Sofia, uh, which a lot of stuff is shot in Sofia. Actually, um, Stallone was in the same hotel as all of us mm-hmm. doing, uh, I believe that's right. I know he was in, they were in... Sophia at the same time doing the the last Rambo movie. The same time we were there shooting the outpost. And I was there. I mean, I was there for maybe a week. It wasn't a big part, right? They got all my stuff done in five days. And um and yeah, I did that and and then that was basically it until heels. Damn, um, dude. Yeah. And after that, the the outpost. I mean, how are you feeling at that point? Are you like, uh, oh, I thought, oh, now it's gonna work. Now, now, I, now everything's good. <laughs> now we're now we're on our way. It's all it's all done. Okay, now we're 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 on the train. It's leaving the station. Right, right. And and then the train crashed. Yeah. And, uh, What's cool about the Gary shit to hark back to that is that you then tell me. I mean, you've told me a story where where he asked you to sit in on 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 him. Or you helped him prepare for a role. Is that? Am I right on it? Yeah, man. He needed a lot of help, and I really. <laughs> <laughs> You're the reason why. He... I no. So he he had. So my house had just burned down. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and <laughs> all right. Uh, it was a uh, no. I was living in a in a guest house, and it was an electrical fire. Not. It was right during the time when all the L.A. fires were going on a couple of years ago, and. Um, but it was so when I would tell people that my house burned, they think it was it was that it was no it was a an electrical fire and mm. uh, and thankfully I wasn't there when it happened. They said I would have. I mean, I would have the way that it happened. I would have died for sure if I had been in the in the guest house at all. 
Um, and so I, uh, and then I went to, I had, I was already, um, I was heading to New York to see my sister for her birthday when that happened. Uh, and, and then, you know, some dealing with that and, and then Gary called me and basically kind of wanted to give me a job for a little bit and said, I, I've got to prepare for this, uh, this movie. Um, it was, uh, um, oh my God, what's the, it was the, the laundromat, mm-hmm. uh, with Meryl Streep and, uh, and it was a very, I guess it was a very, uh, technical, technically heavy script because it was about finance and the finance industry and uh and money laundering and all this so and the way his character was and then it was in the movie but then he and antonio banderas were also narrating on camera and they would have these like these cutaways where it's the two of them narrating and there's stuff going on around them that kind of explains the concept of what's happening at that moment and so it was very technical right uh even in the story. And so he just, he wanted someone to run lines with him. And so I would go over there and we would spend several hours. Just half of it was him telling me stories about old Hollywood stuff that I shouldn't repeat. And, and, uh, and then half of it was like running lines and him kind of figuring out how he wanted to do stuff. And it was, a it was, holy shit! it was a blast. It was a blast, you know? So you're, you're basically seeing him create this, this performance. Yeah. Fuck, dude, and, and so you're saying he is acting. I did. I mean, I gave him a lot of pointers, but yeah, <laughs> I know you did, dude. Yeah, yeah for sure. But I don't. I don't think. I know. I, I don't think any of them would have stuck. To be honest, if I had. <laughs> and did he ever ask you, like, what, what do you think about? Yeah, this? yeah, yeah. He he is maybe. Um, I mean, for as for as committed to certain choices as he can be with with certain things. Uh, like I got to go and see him do the the Churchill movie, Darkest Hour, in London for a week, and uh, and even with that, where I mean the the movie really is kind of on his shoulders. To see how collaborative he is is kind of astonishing. In what way is he collaborative? He's just he takes he just I mean he knows so Doug Doug was a theater producer for. 20 years it's like 27 tony nominations for things that he produced he's worked with every great theater actor you could name and then he got into management when he was kind of done with that and uh but he and he also came up through stella adler as a performer and he's a he's a a great actor himself uh he played you remember the uh in the social network Mm -hmm. uh the scene where the twins go in to see the harvard president do you remember that scene yeah 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 that's doug holy shit yeah uh so He's a great performer in his own right. And Gary trusts him a lot and trusts his taste a lot. And so they will talk about things, the two of them, often. And he'll ask Doug about certain things. And then he's very receptive to the director. And um, and, ju- and just takes in so like a lot. And, and yeah, he's just maybe one of the most non-diva people I've ever watched perform. I, mean, I haven't watched a ton, but that was the that's the 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 image that I get of it. Does he stay in character in between? No, no. 
Even if he's doing an accent? Or does he try and keep the, the accent going? Uh, if it's in between takes, maybe a he little might, bit. Yeah. You know, like Churchill, some some yes, right. some some not, you know. I mean, when I first got there, I was in Video Village, and he kind of just came in as Churchill and oh, uh, yeah, that's great. To, to say hi to me, and it was a, a blast. And, uh, <laughs> right. you know, and, uh, but he's all, but then he's, you know, doing other accents and stuff, and you're, it's like Winston Churchill there doing, you know, hick accents yeah, and yeah. stuff like this, you know, so he, he, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's just, he's such a pro that. He's playful it, on set. Very. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, and it's, uh, uh, not that, I mean, obviously he's serious about what he's doing, but it, you know, he's been doing it for 40 years. So it's very easy. Uh, or I should say it's very, once he's in the pocket, he can, he's in and it's, he's got it's it. there. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so then in those, in those, how long did it take between the outpost and heels then? How, so the that? outpost finished, I think, I think that was, excuse me. I think the outpost finished end of October of 2018. And then it was, basically nothing i did some auditions um you know for the next what is that year and nine year and eight months were you auditioning once a month once a week it just varied there yeah. were there were some months where it was like nothing and then somewhere i'd go three times a week right uh super hit and miss and you know try to get some different things going with friends it never really worked you know mm-hmm. um and and that was you know, that was really it, you know. It, it, and then I got into uh, I did a carpentry project for a girlfriend, and kind of enjoyed that. And then I just kind of threw myself headlong into carpentry. And Harrison Ford, dude, you know the Harrison Ford. Yeah, story. you know. So when I tell people that I used to do carpentry work, you know their background very quickly because they either say Harrison Ford or Jesus. Or and Jesus. They, <laughs> I actually thought of both. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of know pretty quickly what their what their background is. But but yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I got into doing that, and then that wasn't going great because I I was brand new. I didn't know what I was doing, and I had projects that just went completely off the rails, and and. Uh, and whatever, and but I did enjoy. I've I've, I've always enjoyed making things, uh, you know, where you can see that there's a product at the end of it, even if that's a, a scene. It's it's fun to make something that then other people experience. Mm-hmm. So, but I tried to do that for a while to make money, and wasn't great at it. Got to be decent by the end. Uh, still enjoy doing it. Have a little private wood shop here that I go to to um, for fun and but then I a friend of mine from tech the guy who first taught me how to code uh, I called him and just said look I'm I, I had started fabricating for an event company and I was doing stuff for them and and then it kind of I quit very suddenly because they, they just handled some things in a way that I really disliked a few things in a row and so they were trying to shove the responsibility for something off on me. And I literally just quit on the phone and 
which is not the best way to do it. I don't recommend it, but, <laughs> but, uh, and that was that. And I was like, well, now I got to find a different job. So, uh, called a buddy of mine, told him I was looking for something. He said, there might be something, uh, helping us with this tech company. Mm-hmm. And that was maybe, and then I just kept trying to make ends meet. And then he called me on my birthday of, uh, not last year, 2019, 2019. Yeah. Um, and said, we are, we're letting this guy go and we want you very good chance that we want you to replace him. Okay. And that took about two months to get, or like six weeks to get in order. And, uh, and then that was it. I was doing that for until the pandemic hit and then brings us to kind of where Where we we are now. And what do you want for the future, man? I know, I mean, anyone who who's listening can look you up, dude, but you look a lot like Superman, bro. <laughs> so, what are we gonna do, dude? Are we are we thinking about writing something? I mean, what 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 are the goals? I, lo- I love performing very very much, and I hope that that is always a part of my life. I hope to get to do a play or two, uh, and I would love to just keep performing in things that I think are meaningful and rewarding with good people. Uh, get better and better at it. Uh, I think it's important to really try to be good at the things that you want to do. And so that would be part of it. Uh, but I still have a rather disjointed collection of appetites for life. And I do still want to go back to school to study physics. I think that the pursuit of the sciences is is one of the most important human endeavors. I would love to contribute to uh, two sides of that. One, to the uh, to our understanding of the nature of the universe. So fringe stuff like theoretical physics is a deep fascination to me. You know, I'm reading a whole bunch of books right now on that stuff, trying to prepare to pursue more schooling in that world. That's a part of it. Um, and then on the other side, I would love to be to contribute to society valuing scientific developments more. I have a one thing I want to work on is a documentary about the, our relationship with nuclear energy mm. and how it's sort of vilified, has been, and how it's because of that we it kind of set us back and uh, uh, so. Those are components of, of my my desires for the future to help us collectively move forward in certain technological pursuits, renewable energy, uh, cleaner planet, and then you know our understanding of the universe. You know, I'd love to contribute my brain power to that, uh, and then performing and performing in things that I think are meaningful. Uh, I I can't say that I'm a writer. Maybe if I worked at it really hard, I could be. Uh, but I don't. I don't really think that's in my. That would be tough. Uh, that that's not a natural gift. Mm. And maybe writing other things like like my like uh, more informational stuff. You know, I love communicating things about the science. I love trying to explain certain like quantum mechanical phenomenon to people. Uh, 
in ways that they can understand. I love that, like writing about that sort of thing, but like writing a script, I don't think I'm all that gifted in. I have friends who are that I work with. And so maybe something like that, but uh, yeah, being a part of movies that I think are significant, that are fun, that entertain people. And then kind of having that as sort of the, maybe the two, the two sides that hold up all the rungs on the ladder. Uh, you know, that mm-hmm. this being able to perform, but ha- then having as a, as that continues to work, if it does, God willing, he says, ironically, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if that continues to work and using whatever, uh, public presence I have to in- encourage scientific efforts, especially with kids. Uh, I mean, I grew up watching Beekman's World, Bill Nye. You know, in high school, I did my AP physics curriculum in three weeks with a buddy of mine because we just were like, this is so slow. And we asked the teacher, can we just have the, the curriculum? And we wow. just like blew through it, you know, in like three, four weeks. Right. And then we... um blew out the power at my house trying to make an electromagnet as strong as we could. And that was fun. And like, <laughs> you know, shit like that. And, uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so that would be it, man. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I feel so lucky to be in a groove where it seems like the right track for me. I get to perform. I'm so, so lucky to make money performing crazy bro and then to also have the liberty to study things that i find interesting and maybe eventually turn that into information that instead of taking in i'm able to give outward um that that's the dream for me and um and to walk on the moon someday but that we'll we'll see how that goes we'll see see. (laughs) we were saying you're like a mixture of elon musk matthew mcconaughey with the texas and then uh (laughs) Another certain somebody that I'll leave it on. <laughs> but dude, thanks for fucking doing this, man. And uh yeah. I mean for me, dude, it's it's been cool just kind of sharing the this space with you and this this time that we're in right now. I mean, so many things are uncertain about the future of the show and the future of our careers. I mean, with the pandemic and everything. So it's been cool to have somebody that's kind of in a similar position and uh yeah. Not and, already successful like everyone else right, on the right. show. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Yeah, man. So thanks for doing this, brother. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure, man. I'm glad to glad to know you, glad to be a part of this with you. And I, I count you as a friend already, and that might change, but who knows? Yeah, we'll but, see. We'll play <laughs> but, by ear. But man, I'm I'm happy to do it and happy to know you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. This episode was brought to you in part by TSMA Consulting, the entertainment industry's leading social media firm. If you sign up for any of their management packages at tsmaconsulting.com, make sure to tell them Robbie sent you for an exclusive 15% off the first month. Thank me later.